When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Voy a ponerme la vacuna Prevnar 20 porque estoy en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica, la cual pudiera llevarme al hospital. Así que preguntaré sobre Prevnar 20. 65 años o más, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20, vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20enespañol.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com TCFC. Now, as you know, I am a new mom, so my life is kind of crazy right now. And sure, everybody's life is full of stressors, and it doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful. But I'm learning to navigate how to deal with any type of postpartum blues that I may be having and BetterHelp has honestly really helped me. Now, you may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strain in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. So unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life, someone who isn't going to judge you or take sides on anything. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and True Crime Fan Club podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash TCFC. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash TCFC. Hey everyone, it's Lainey. I'm going to be dropping the latest episode I did for my show on Spotify Greenroom called True Crime Convos. True Crime Convos happens every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central on the Spotify Greenroom app. It would really mean a lot to me if you downloaded the app, followed me, and joined me for a show. I can't wait to discuss cases with a live audience, and I know that fan club members can really add to the discussion. Thank you again for all of your support. It means the world to me, and I know I say that every time, but it's true. Oh, and if you know anyone or happen to work at Instagram, can you ask them to give me my True Crime Fan Club account back? Seriously, it's been a while, and I'd like it back before I have to start a new one. Okay, enough of the business. Here's the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to True Crime Convos. 
with me. I'm your host, Slaney, host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast, the Crimes of Passion podcast, the paranormal podcast called Is Haunted What Now? And I am hosting today True Crime Convos. It's our first show in our lineup of true crime content on Tuesdays. I want to thank everybody for joining me. I am very thrilled to be with you guys today. Um, We're going to be talking about a really sensitive case. It involves a three-year-old little girl. This case actually happened very close to the place that I used to live or the town that I used to live in called Plano, Texas. Um, Both areas, Richardson and Plano, are rather affluent towns. So this was very shocking when it first came out. And so, yeah, I, I kind of, when it first happened, I was like, already pegged kind of who did it. Not that I'm obviously proud of that, but just saying like, it is a difficult um, case to go through. So we are going to go ahead and get started. So thank you again for joining me today. So for three-year-old Sharon, she was born on July 14th, 2014 in Gaia, India. She was named Sharon Susan Matthews by her adoptive parents, but she was first abandoned at a very young age by her biological parents for reasons that still remain unknown. Social workers discovered her near a bush outside of a train station and took her to a nearby orphanage. At the orphanage, since the staff had no idea what her name might be, they called her Saraswati, the name of a Hindu river goddess. Um, And hi, everyone in the chat. And also, I think it's important to note, too, that this is fairly common um, in India. It, It depends on you know, economic circumstances, et cetera. Um, Sometimes they may have health issues early on. And so parents know that they just can't afford to take care of their children. And so they abandon them. And then eventually they hopefully find their way to an orphanage, but that doesn't always happen. In Sharon's case, it did. She lived in the orphanage until July 8th, 2016, when she was adopted by U.S. residents, Wesley and Cindy Matthews. At the time of her adoption, Wesley and Sunny spoke Malayalam, a a common language in South India. And according to the orphanage employees, Sunny barely spoke any Hindi. And when asked about Sharon, the orphanage employees described her as a happy, healthy child, though other accounts say at least one person noticed a pattern of sadness on Sharon's face when looking at photographs at her. While there was speculation about Sharon's developmental rate, the staff at the orphanage have stated that Sharon never had any problems consuming any food or drink during their care. And this is going to be important later on as the case um, moves forward to trial. Petite and round-cheeked with short brown hair and brown eyes, Sharon's main defining characteristic was a cross eye, which apparently set her apart from the other children at the orphanage. After her adoption by the Matthews family, Sharon moved with them to Richardson, Texas. And the couple had already you know, been living in Richardson for quite some time. And they had a biological child who was born in 2013. Now, since she is a minor and was a minor at the time this crime was committed, we don't share her name. It is public knowledge, but um, as a practice and I think an ethical, you know, reason, true crime people should not be doing that. So we do not make that a habit of sharing minors' information. Um, Now, since Sharon is a victim of a crime, that is why we are sharing her story. 
So we're going to go into her disappearance because this is how we're able to find out about Sharon's home life and kind of things that were going on behind the scenes. So on October 17th, 2000, I'm sorry, October 7th, 2017, just over a year after her adoption, Richardson police were notified of Sharon's disappearance. Wesley Matthews, Sharon's adoptive father, is the one who made the phone call. Now, according to Wesley, Wesley, he took Sharon outside at 3 a.m. as a form of discipline for not drinking her milk. And guys, when when that first came up as a reason, like, why were you outside? Why was she outside at 3 a.m.? And when he said, oh, it was a punishment, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So he definitely did something or something happened to her and they were afraid to get in trouble. So, you know, they're starting to try and cover their tracks, et cetera. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, something's very odd and suspicious. And tell me, you know, like your true crime feelers in the uh, chat, if that's something you guys think too. Because as soon as I heard that, I was like, wow. So he told police that because of her time in India, Sharon was malnourished and he and needed to be eating and drinking any time that she was awake to keep her weight up. That was seemingly confirmed by a source from CARA, which is the Child Adoption Resource Authority, who claimed that Sharon was undernourished from the time of her adoption and continued to be small for her age. Now, if you Google photos of Sharon, you'll see that she is very tiny for a three-year-old. She almost looks like she's... Um, maybe like one and a half or two years old. She's very tiny in stature. Um, so it, it does make sense. And it is confirmed that she did have um, health issues in regards to keeping up her weight. And it's not surprising, again, think about the orphanage, not having a lot of resources to be able to address Sharon's health problems or give her a proper workup. So a lot of the information that Sharon came with from India didn't really help them. So Sini and Wesley took her to doctors a lot to try and figure out what was going on with her. So Wesley claims that Sharon had always had problems eating and that while she wouldn't eat food at home, she could be convinced to eat outside. So on the night Sharon disappeared, Wesley claimed to police that he told Sharon to stand near a large tree in the backyard because she refused to drink her milk. Again, listen, for being a three-year-old, I highly doubt they have any understanding whatsoever of punishment in the sense that like, oh, you didn't drink your milk, go stand out by a tree. That doesn't make any sense. So this conflicts with other reports, which say that Wesley told Sharon to stand alone in an alley. So this is what I remember. So here's the thing. The report came out, right, that this that Sharon was missing. And obviously, since it was only maybe 10 or 15 minutes away, literally from where I lived at the time, I was like, holy crap, that's really concerning. You know, like when, when you hear things like crime doesn't happen in this area, it truly nothing like that. Like child abductions don't really happen there. Like Amber Alerts are different because those are people known to them um, for the most part. But in Richardson and Plano, it's not really that type of place. Like you wouldn't, you don't have somebody like lurking around at 3 a.m. just hoping that they're going to stumble upon a child, you know, like, oh, there's my luck. I happen to be a child abductor. And look, there's a kid right there for me. So the first report came out, said Sharon was missing. And it was like, okay, well, what was happening? Why was she out so late? Right. Because that's the first question you have when you hear this. And then it was like, oh, she was being punished. And the first story was that she was told to stand outside by the end of the driveway in the alley. And I'm like, 
who would put a three-year-old in the alley and say, stand there, A, and not have somebody hearing this kid cry and wondering, like, why is there a kid outside right now crying? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen three-year-olds throw fits where they're, like, throwing themselves on the floor, possibly giving themselves a concussion, et cetera, you know, from banging their heads on the floor. So I can't imagine that Sharon was just like, okay, I'll go stand out there by the alley in the dark at 3 a.m. and not have any, like, crying fits or and screaming nothing, right? I doubt she went there willingly. Like, sometimes you've seen people punish their kids where they have to, like, carry them to put them in time out. So that automatically, when I heard that, didn't add up to me. And then, and then the story changed later, um, I think a few days later, to where it was like, no, she was actually – um, standing by the tree in the backyard. And so once the story started changing of like where she was even placed or where she was last seen, then I was like, okay, something's going on. Obviously they did something to her. It's obvious to the public something happened to her, whether it was an accident or whether it was on purpose. It was very clear kind of after the first excuse was given that there was something more um, nefarious going on. So 15 minutes later, because he leaves her outside, right? So he says, the first story, I left her by the alley. That's the one we're going to go with right now. Left her by the alley. So he leaves her, goes back inside, and he says, 15 minutes later, when I came back out to check on her, she had disappeared. And I'm like, okay, listen. I mean, do you, I guess, in the sense of, like, how you choose to punish your kids? I obviously don't agree with making a three-year-old stand outside for any length of time that late in the morning and not watching them. So A, irresponsible, right? But how are you just going to leave this kid out there and not expect any crying, any stomping there? You don't think she's going to be scared? It, it didn't add up to me. So he's like, yeah, so I went inside 15 minutes later, come out, she's gone. So based on the time of his call to the police and the time he claimed Sharon had gone missing, he waited five hours before alerting anyone to the disappearance of his adopted daughter. Matthews told police that when he had discovered Sharon was missing, hold on to your britches, people, if you've never heard this story. When he <laughs> discovered that she was missing, he went inside to do a load of laundry while waiting for her to either come home or for it to be light enough outside for him to continue searching for her. He also reportedly told police that he'd seen coyotes in the area and that their home backed up onto a railroad track. Like, for okay, no. Coyotes in Texas, you guys, they literally just, like, run around the street like no big deal. They're more afraid of us than anything. And you don't think, obviously, that if a coyote were to attack a child at 3 o'clock in the morning in a residential area... He says it's by a railroad yard. It doesn't mean that it's desolate. Richardson is highly populated. It's suburban. It's, come on. Okay. So <sighs> he says, okay, well, you know, it could have been a coyote that took her. And I'm like, okay, so where's the blood? Because you think a coyote is just like happens to like hold a three-year-old in his mouth and not drip any blood anywhere. No drag marks, no nothing. So yeah, it was just already not adding up. So when he went in through the coyote situation out there as a Texan, I already called bullshit because I was like, yeah, right, dude, coyotes. If it was like a mountain lion, okay, sure, I guess. But even then, not really, but 
coyotes in Texas are like skinny ass dogs. There's no way they're going to take anything with them. And the fact that he waited to where she would either come home and, you know, walk in through the door and be like, Hey, thanks dad for teaching me that valuable lesson when I didn't drink my milk or he waits till it's late. And to me, that tells the listener and the viewer at home who was watching this on the news, how he felt about that child and that, I'm sure that if it was his biological child, he would not have um, waited to report her for five hours and, you know, done a load of laundry. So I digress. So anyway, so the investigation and arrest kind of quickly happened in succession. So it was quickly apparent that Wesley had conflicting stories about what had happened when Sharon disappeared. And this, in addition to how long it took him to report her missing, immediately put police on high alert. Wesley Matthews was arrested on October 7th for child endangerment, but was later released on bail. Shortly after police searched for the Math- searched the Matthews house, they discovered that an SUV had left the property around 4 a.m. the night that Sharon had disappeared and returned within an hour. On October 22nd, 2017, the body of a young girl was found in a culvert near the Matthews home. The body was later positively identified to be Sharon Matthews after police consulted dental records. So I remember again when her body was found in the culvert, it's kind of what we were waiting for, unfortunately. Um, when when I saw the alert pop up on my news app that a, a body of a small child had been found and, you know, they don't ever like to confirm, kind of think about like the Gabby Petito case they didn't want to confirm immediately that it was her. Um, they had to do official, you know, identification, et cetera, through dental records, whatever. So it's the same thing for Sharon. Um, everybody knew that it was likely her body, but after positive identification came around, they, um, you know, figured, or they were able to confirm it was her. Okay. So yes, I, this case has really stuck with me for a really long time. Um, because of how close it was to home and just truly how sad it was for this little girl. So after her body was discovered, her foster father or her adoptive father, Wesley returned to the police station. And this time he wanted to change his statement yet again. So he told police that when Sharon refused to drink her milk, he helped her to drink it, taking her out into the garage to physically assist her. During this process, Sharon began to choke from the milk being forced down her throat Wesley claimed that he felt for her pulse and believed her to be dead. He then said he hit her body in a culvert and he was arrested and charged with felony injury to a child. Like, exactly what? And like, who, again, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, he sought counsel with an attorney and an attorney told him to do this. You know, like, go and change your statement. Go and tell them what what really happened. And I'm like, again, think of this like from a parent caregiver perspective, who takes a kid to the garage to feed them or to assist them in drinking milk? Like, again, that does not make any sense at all whatsoever. So I'm telling you guys, very frustrating to say the least see. Okay. 
so let's go back to where we were. Sorry, just went on a tangent there. <clears throat> so once Sharon's body was taken in for an autopsy, it was discovered that the toddler had been suffering from old and new injuries, all in various stages of healing, including broken bones. So during the ensuing investigation, a physician stepped forward and claimed that she had notified Child Protective Services after Sharon was brought in with a bone fracture in 2016, which the family claimed was from her older sister pushing her off the couch. In another instance, when Sharon was brought in for fractures in her legs, her adoptive mother, Cindy, told doctors that Sharon had sustained injuries from falling at a playground, but physicians insisted that Sharon's injuries were not consistent with that story. They concluded that the child's injuries were signs of abuse. On November 16, 2017, Cindy Matthews turned herself into police. She was charged with child abandonment as she left Sharon home alone the night of October 6 before she disappeared. Okay, here's another thing that's going to piss you off. Again, remember, this kid is three years old. And not to say that this doesn't happen, but to make it seem like it's such a normal thing and a reasonable thing to do shows how, like, disconnected with reality these people are. So she says that the family claimed they'd left Sharon in the kitchen to go have dinner because they were frustrated that she wouldn't drink her milk. And when they returned 90 90 minutes later, she was still where they'd left her, and she was alive. Cindy insisted that she'd been asleep when Sharon had gone missing and that she had no idea what happened with Wesley after she'd gone to bed. Cindy was placed on a $250,000 bond, but the charges against her were later dropped, a decision that was heavily criticized. I remember when they um, dropped the charges against Cindy. I was so pissed, you guys, because... Listen, there's like not knowing things are happening and then there's covering things up. And oh, I forgot to mention this. Okay. So, um, Cindy, you guys, is also, sorry for my chair creaking, is also a registered nurse. Okay. <laughs> she, she's a registered nurse. So she's the person supposed to be taking care of people in the hospital And look at how she's treating her own daughter. A daughter, mind you, that Wesley and Cinny picked. Right? It's not like they were just randomly given this child and were like, here, you have to take care of this kid. They literally went through the process, traveled to another country, and selected Sharon to be their daughter. Then they came back here. And started to abuse her because she didn't fit in with her, with the family, right? Their oldest daughter, they said, you know, like they, they kind of put her high on a pedestal and like, she was perfect. She's great. She's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And Sharon's so difficult. Like you see the disparities between how they describe their kids, um, you know, the oldest daughter and Sharon, and there's such a huge disparity. And obviously, um, It's something that is so clear. They have some type of either underlying hatred for this girl. It it doesn't make sense to me. You know, I don't think any child abuse case does ever make sense. Like there's no sense behind it. So yeah, it was really frustrating. And also, you know, blaming the older child for the abuse that happened, completely ridiculous. You guys like you have to push a kid like super hard 
off of a couch to fracture something, you know, like my husband broke his legs, like both of his legs when he was like two years old because he was playing and like, he was actually like really rough or whatever, but hello, you know, like he was actually doing something that would have caused that to happen and made sense to where physicians were like, yeah, whatever he did or what he did at the park or whatever is exactly how it happened. But the milk situation too, it's like, pick a different drink. If she doesn't like milk, pick a different drink. Like I get protein, whatever they have Pediasure. I mean, there's tons of other tasty drinks that a kid can drink. Um, And ultimately it's like, you just want them to eat. So give them what they need until, you know, they uh, make weight or whatever. But yes, she was a registered nurse and it's infuriating to think that she was able to get off scot-free completely. I don't believe her story when she says that she was asleep the entire time, because look at the history so far of what we know is that she is, um, she is willing to cover up and make excuses for the abuse that's happening to Sharon. So she will willingly blame her oldest daughter for abuse um, or to cover up the abuse and say, oh yeah, she just pushed her and blame it on child's play. And then say, oh yeah, we took her to the park and that's how she fractured her leg. Um, like we don't know specifically who was causing the abuse. I think that they were doing it together. Um, because I, I, I don't, I think, you know, like maybe one was more limited than the other in terms of how often they were abusing her or how severe they were abusing her. But I don't believe Cindy was asleep the entire time. Um, at all. I, I can't see how, you know, I, I don't see how it just boggles my brain. And also leaving her, you know, like trying to justify leaving a three-year-old for an hour and a half so that you, your husband, and your biological child can go have dinner. Like, you're already isolating this kid. She's three years old. You've isolated her from the family. You know, it's just ridiculous to me that they are continuing to justify the abuse that they think is, you know, a defense of their action. So yeah, we did this because, you know, we were just really frustrated with her that she wouldn't drink her milk and they're thinking that's reasonable. And you just have to, like, I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand how you guys live in a sickness together. Um, and although I will say that from, I mean, we obviously don't know the severity or the depth of the abuse, how often it was going on. We do know that it led to injuries But, you know, she had such a difficult life already. I I just can't get over the fact that they literally chose, chose her. And then they were like, oh, not good enough. And regretted their decision and, you know, couldn't uh, return her, I guess. So anyway, so she was also fired, um, good news, from her position at the Dallas Children's Medical Center as a result of the investigation. Now, the interesting thing is, is that during the court hearing um, for Wesley's trial, um, and while they were, you know, introducing evidence for the arrest affidavits, there were there were text messages exchanged between Cindy and Wesley while Sharon was at the um, hospital with her, you know, when she was going to see the pediatrician, et cetera. And she was basically... I feel like they were texting in code, if that makes sense. Because it was very like, hey, the doctor is saying this. And, you know, you know, oh, no, this this is what the doctor's saying. 
Um, hold on, I'm gonna try and find one that I can read for you guys. I thought I had it up, but I didn't. But yeah, it, it was very interesting to see how they were going back and forth between each other. Okay, so here's the list of crimes, the wrong acts that the um, Dallas prosecutors say um, happened and why they sought the um, death penalty for him. So there was an actual, yeah, she was yeah, at a children's hospital, Anna, exactly. So part of the investigation was checking the electronics, right, of the Matthews family. And so the internet history and a file called Sharon's log were deleted from the computer after her disappearance. There were a significant amount of messages and content deleted from his cell phone um, once it was seized by the Richardson police. All communications between Wesley and Sydney were also deleted on said cell phone. Now, if you're innocent and you didn't do anything, like I have no problem if you cut if you keep coming to me and saying like, Hey, we think you did this crime. I'm like, okay, I didn't do it. And they're like, we're going to need your cell phone. Okay. Take my cell phone. It's going to exonerate me. I guess you won't find anything in there that says I did something. So, um, let me find that one. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Registered nurse. It's a freaking joke. And you should look them up too, because they just, Cindy gives me a icky vibe in general. I would not want her to be my nurse. Cause I was just like, Oh, you're so, you look mean to me. Um, here we go. Oh, I didn't find the text message, you guys. But they were basically like every time, um, every time she went to the doctor, basically, they were texting in code, if you will, about um, what the doctor was saying needed to happen and that she wasn't, um, she wasn't gaining weight or that she needed to get this. And it was like alluding to it basically being um, Sharon's fault. You know, like Cindy and Wesley were doing all they could to help her and everything. And it just wasn't good enough. Um, yeah, Portia, you are you were right. Um, because they went to a church and everything like that. And everybody at church was like, Sharon was such a happy girl and that she loved the song. You know, I've got that, that song. It's like, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Like she would always do that. She would sing. She loved it. Um, she was like this little tiny baby doll, you know, like everybody thought she was so cute. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just so weird that, they chose her. It just makes me, again, I keep going back to that, but that's just because it's just ridiculous. Um, okay. So let's get to it before then we'll open it up to chat and everything and everybody can share how pissed off they are about this. Okay. So Wesley ends up being sentenced to life in prison for injury by omission to a child. He attempted to appeal the sentence claiming that photos of Sharon's body should have never been shown in court nor should the jury have been shown details that gave a history of injuries prior to her death. He was denied a new trial on September 5th, 2019, and he's still in prison where he belongs to this day. So Sharon was laid to rest in the cemetery at the Turrentine Jackson Morrow funeral home on October 31st, 2017 in a private ceremony. The location of her grave was kept secret until her headstone was placed. Now due to the mass of public attention on the case, 
there have been people who have flooded that grave site with love and support for Sharon and her memory, which is amazing and great and really shows how the community rallied against or behind her. So the biological daughter of Sydney and Wesley was placed in foster care immediately following Sharon's disappearance. Since then, she's been placed in the care of family members in Houston and continues to live with them. Sydney and Wesley um, had their rights as parents stripped from them on their biological daughter, and they are not permitted to contact her or interact with her in any way. It's a court order, so if they do, they're in violation of that. Sharon's headstone holds an inscription that reads, A moment in our arms, a lifetime in our hearts, an inscription chosen according to a source close to the Matthews family by Wesley Matthews himself. So I think it's also interesting. So as we go into trial and everything like that, um, during the trial, Wesley was trying to make himself relatable to the jury and liked by the jury, hopefully to get like a lighter sentence. I think that was kind of what the defense was doing. So during the trial, he would say um, things like, I wanted her, I, I drove for like an hour trying to find a really peaceful place for her to be in. And I wanted her, you know, I didn't want animals to get to her and I wanted her to be safe. So that's why he put her in a culvert. You guys, if you've ever seen a drainage culvert, it is not anything that I would even put my dog in, in terms of like laying him to rest, right? There, it made no sense to me that he was saying that. And then he was like, oh, and I also... You know, I struggled to get her in there. Like, he really tried. I mean, like, think about, like, the Watts children, how they were shoved into those oil bins. That's basically how he had to fit Sharon in. Even though she was tiny, that doesn't mean that it's easy to get her body into a culvert. So he's saying to police, like, I made sure that she didn't get any cuts on her body because she's my little girl. He says he was looking for a place, you know, just to safely keep her. And mind you... The thing he chose to transport her body in was a trash bag. And he put her in that trash bag, then drove to the culvert and put her in feet first. And he's watching from the courtroom. He's watching his interrogation as he's saying these things. And he's feigning heartbreak. Like he's covering his mouth like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, terrible. Like he's reliving this nightmare, a nightmare mind you, that he created himself. Um, It's insane. So he said, you know, like he makes another quip about driving around, putting her in this trash bag. And he says, you know, I didn't just want to dump her somewhere. I wanted to honor her. And that's why he put her half a mile from their home because he wanted to honor her and have her someplace safe. Um, He said that when she, it looked like she had died joking. Mind you, he didn't take any life-saving measures, didn't attempt CPR, didn't attempt Heimlich or anything like that to try and um, help her clear the milk from her lungs or whatever if she was choking. Um, He just let her die or assumed she died. And so he just said, you know, I got the feeling that it was too late and that maybe there's another way to deal with this. And so he just basically lays her down on the garage floor and is just staring at her body for a while to figure out like what he's going to do. Um, 
And he, he at least said at first, like his whole thing was like, oh, she choked on the milk. But here's the thing. If she was choking, she wouldn't be able to make any sounds. Like she wouldn't be able to be like, huh. like she's obviously getting air in her lungs, etc. So he kind of, he kind of contradicts his own story by saying, you know, like she died while she was choking. She kept coughing and then her breathing started to slow and she kept just saying data data. And he was just like, I tried, you know, rubbing her arms to warm her body again. His wife is a registered nurse. So why wouldn't you go run to the person who actually understands life-saving measures and um, wake her up to save her child's life if she was indeed choking? It was just ridiculous to me. So, yeah, that's that is the end of that case, you guys. It was very... Um, very interesting. I highly recommend if you do want to know more in depth about the case and really understand like the trial, what happened, you can listen to the court junkie podcast. She covered the Sharon Matthews case and really does a great job of um, going into the case and going into the court testimony and everything that was um, going on there. It was very surprising. I found it very surprising that Wesley took the stand in his own defense. So you do get to hear from him. Um, And he just basically says that he, you know, he took the stand in his own defense to own up to the lies he told and the mistakes that he's made. But he ultimately wants the jury and the public to know that he loved his daughter. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, guys. Back again to talk about FunJet. Now, let's be honest. Whether you're back in the office or still in your sweatpants working from home, that's still me. Life's day-to-day responsibilities lack the fun we all want and deserve. If you're looking for a sign to use some of that hard-earned PTO and have some much-needed fun, look no further. FunJet Vacations is a one-stop shop for all your vacation needs. And as experts in the industry, FunJet Vacations offers customers a fast, easy, and fun way to book their next vacation with exclusive package deals to all-inclusive resorts in Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. For a limited time, our listeners can use promo code FUNJET75 for $75 off your next FunJet vacation at Ryu Hotels and Resorts. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly resort or, like me, an adults-only getaway, there is a Ryu Hotel and Resort for you. 
To get started, just go to funjet.com or contact your travel advisor and you'll be out of the office in no time. Maybe sipping Mai Tais on the beach, which is my dream. Offer is only valid at funjet.com when booked by October 15th for travel through December 2021. Restrictions apply. So, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. All right, you guys. So if you want to pop up, press the request button so you can share your thoughts about the case. If you have any theories about maybe Cindy being more involved than she was, the trauma that the oldest daughter is probably going through, the type of uh, therapy she's likely going to need because of it. Um, Yeah, I, I just don't think that he was equipped whatsoever to be a father. Um, or an adoptive father, like maybe they had a great, you don't know a lot like about their history in terms of like how they treated their older daughter, other than she wasn't abused to our knowledge that never came out in um, any court testimony or anything like that or anything like that. Sorry. Um, So we don't really have a lot of information about how they um, treated her outside of what they're trying to say she did. Um, the jurors during the trial obviously got very emotional because, again, photos of Sharon's body post-mortem were shown. Um, and this was likely to show them, like, where she was found in the culvert. Um, you know, as it goes with crime scene photos, they take pictures of the things in the moment. So um, that was something that Wesley, his defense team, was objecting to left and right about and letting those Um, photos in and they again didn't want anybody to know that she had been previously abused they say because the abuse couldn't be substantiated even though medical experts did go on trial and testify that these were caused by physical abuse so let's see any comments or questions let me see i'm gonna make sure i'm not i literally have this app open on both here we go all right. Hello, Madeline. Hi. Um, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So um, this is not about this specific case, but it reminded me of um, something that happened a few years ago. Um, so I was living in Chicago, and I had this really shitty landlord. Um And I was really mad at him because he was not fixing my dryer. And I wanted to figure out what his job was because I was like, I feel like he can afford to fix my dryer. Um, And I Googled his name and uh, he had been involved in a case where essentially he was a doctor who had taken care of um, a little girl. She was in fourth grade. And after he kind of dismissed some injuries that she had as normal, she ended up being killed by her, um, her grandmother, who was her caretaker. Uh, Um. I know. So basically there was a whole lawsuit and they, the family ended up being awarded money from the city, but it was just like, it reminded me because, you know, he saw that like marks on her body or something and he ended up dismissing it. Mm -hmm. And because of that, she died. Yeah. 
That's terrible. I know. It's really sad. So, I mean, if anybody ever, I'm a teacher, I'm a mandated reporter. So if I ever see anything, I'm literally obligated by law to call, but it's always better to err on the side of caution and call if you suspect anything. I mean, the worst the worst that's going to happen is you have to be like, okay, my bad. I thought you were abusing your child. Maybe you shouldn't give me that indication. You know, like I wouldn't think you were abusing your child. So exactly. And you are, yeah, you're protected by law. If you report, like you are not going to get sued. Nothing will happen to you. Um, There's no reason not to do it. What you think is right. And that ultimately, like I heard this, quote recently where it was like there's the law and then there's doing what's right so you know you have to of course you're the reason you choose that you would need to do you know what's what's right exactly yeah even if it's a weird situation I know broke my heart but um that's it thank you for letting me up here absolutely as always and if you're still on you can definitely double click Madeline's photo and give her some gems for coming up and speaking with us. Um, this also reminds me too, just a little bit of the Mitchell Blair case. Um, if you guys have not heard about that case, it is extremely, extremely difficult to um, to go through. I would say that it it borders on the Gabriel Fernandez case. Um, because we know how devastating that case is. Um, the, the Michelle Blair case, like she was a mother suffering from mental illness and she abused and tortured her two children based off of the paranoia that she was believing was happening around her. So she believed that her children were abusing each other Um and she took them out one by one, saving one child. Like it was, they were both abusing like each other and then also abusing um, the youngest child, which is disputed now by the youngest child saying like, hey, I never said anything like that. So I don't know where that happened. But just imagine it, it's insane. That case, um, her testimony, her, like she has an elocu- elocution up on um, YouTube if you can stomach it, I listened to it just because I wanted to try and understand like what was her mindset? Like, was she repentant at all? Did she feel remorseful? And I will tell you that she does not feel remorseful whatsoever, even till this day. Um, she, she like absolutely tortured her children. And it's, it's a really, really um, difficult case to listen to. If you ever find it on a podcast, I won't mention the one it's on because I don't support their content. But um, there are other um, podcasts that have done it. I have not listened to it because I once is enough for me to hear it. But you can see her elocution on um, YouTube if you want to um, kind of listen and understand what happened. But she did take severe uh, measures to punish her children which ultimately led to their deaths. And the only reason that she was found out and the only reason that she was caught was because she was being evicted and she had stored the bodies of her children um, in like deep freezers. So I believe this also, I want to say this one also happened in Chicago, but I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, it's another one of those cases that just makes you physically ill you know, these cases are never easy. I'm obviously going to be taking a break from um, 
discussing any cases where children are the victims uh, for the next few Spotify green rooms, just to give us all a break on that, because I know I've touched on it a few times, um, but these were all kind of listener requests. And so I wanted to honor those, but now we're going to move on to some other things um, in the next few Spotify green rooms. I am still working on getting hopefully the child of God survivor onto the show. There are some difficulties that we've run into because we, I was told that um, they have to check with like their production company because they're under contract. So they may not have permission to do it. So we're just waiting to hear back on um, if that's something that can happen or not. Um, But if not, then we can still have our cult expert on who does have knowledge of the children of God cult and um, we'll be able to share some insights and answer our questions about those, because I do have a lot of questions. I've I've rewatched the children of God um, documentary that was on discovery plus and, Oh man, you guys, I, I don't understand from like a parent perspective, how you let these things happen or how you're, you let somebody kind of convince you that this is okay. You know, like I go in, that's just like me going in with my husband and daughter and being like, yeah, it's cool. You can sleep with my husband. Oh, and also sleep with my kid. No big deal. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it, it doesn't seem, I don't know, like I, you know, I, it boggles my brain and I want to understand the psychological aspect behind it. I want to know what in a person's, you know, psychology makes them a victim of a crime like this, um, or complicit in crimes like that, like severe crimes of child sexual abuse, things like that. Like how do you push aside those kind of gut punch feelings where you're like, this is wrong and go, this is wrong. I think, but maybe it's not because Jesus is telling me or the prophet guy who says he's a prophet is telling me, you know, that this is the right thing to do. I have no idea. It makes zero sense to me, but I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that we can get the um, survivor on. Of course, we want to be respectful. So we're obviously not going to ask any questions that they're not okay with answering. We're not going to touch on subjects that they're not okay touching on. I'm very much of the sense that like you tell the story you want to tell. It's not our job to poke and prod you and say, tell me this thing. Cause I'm like super curious about it. If it's not our business and that's not our business and it just is what it is. So hopefully I'll have a, um, an update for us soon on that one. I am crossing my fingers and I hope it can happen because she has such an incredible story. She is an incredible survivor and person in general. So I'm really hoping that she's able to come on, but again, if we can't, then we'll have our cult expert on and uh, we'll talk about cults there too, because I have never dabbled in cults um, as a member myself <laughs> or um, as a true crime person, I've never really gone into depth, you know, with it other than the ones, you know, you know, kind of in the mainstream media, but I've never done a deep dive into them because it's the same thing with like mass shootings, like those types of cases in true crime don't appeal to me because they scare me. If that makes sense. Like it just frightens me. You know, if I want to be totally honest about it, it's just not something that I would be okay covering for myself because it just makes me really nervous, you know, because it's like, those aren't predictable, right? Like 
a crime that happens like upon an individual, you're like, okay, you can separate yourself from it. But when you think about like mass shootings and, you know, think about Aurora and stuff like you're just going to a movie, you have no idea. And then this thing happens or you're just going to work and you have no idea. And this thing happens. So to me, that's too, um, too unpredictable. (laughs) And I am not a fan of that, which is also why I don't like cases about missing people as a listener myself, because I want to have, um, finality to things, but, um, the more and more, like I'm, I'm looking at cases like that, it, gosh, man, it just spurs your, your need to want to find out more about it. So I definitely get the appeal to it, but it's just not something that for me, I can, uh, take too much time to listen to, but I did have another announcement here. Um, so on October 23rd at 10 a.m. Eastern time, going to have the author, his name is Mark Hartsman on. He wrote this book called um, Chasing Ghosts. And this is more like for the paranormally side people. Um, but it also dabbles in some of the true crime. So we're going to have him on. There's also going to be a giveaway for the book. But it's a really, really interesting book because it talks about like, people's fascinations with, you know, supernatural things and paranormal things. And we also know that if we, as we've been listening and, you know, taking in a lot of true crime content, that some of this stuff does dabble in the supernatural. Like there are people who believe that supernatural powers lead them to do, you know, these really terrible things. Like think of the Pazuzu case, right. Um, Where he literally, believes he's a devil or he is a Satanist in the sense or a devil worshiper. I wouldn't say Satanist because there's obviously a difference. Um, and you know, he goes on to murder people because he feels that he was, um, told by the devil or believes he's, you know, one of the devil's spawn or whatever to do something like that. So I thought it would be really interesting to have that crossover there where we can talk about spooky things, but also how they intersect with true crime because what doesn't intersect with true crime these days? Um, but yeah, I, I just thought that that was going to be super interesting. If anybody else wants to pop up, I literally have this app open on two things because sometimes it bugs out. So I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. So just make sure if you do want to hop up, offer your opinions, or you want to share a case that like for me, the um, Sharon Matthews, the Mitchell Blair case, have haunted me for a while. This ones that, you know, I'm always like, Oh man, that one really messed you up. If there's a case you want to share like that with us. Please feel free to do that and hop on up. Don't be shy. It's going to be cool. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. I promise. Um, I think the first case that got me going in true crime was that of Eddie Lee Sexton. I've mentioned this before on previous shows. I even covered it in my podcast. It was like one of the first few episodes I did audio is terrible (laughs) on this. That's why they're not published to like a public feed. You have to go to the website to listen to it. But, um, that one was a case I read about when I was like 12 or 13, which shame on my mom for letting me read that, uh, book. It's called house of secrets by Lowell Caulfield. And it is a crazy true crime story that, I honestly, when I first read it, being as young as I was, did not believe that it was a real story. I was like, wow, that was a good fiction book, mom. And she was like, um, that's true crime. And so that means it's actually happening or that it actually happened. And I was like, 
are you kidding me? Like there's people like this in the world that exists. And then that's kind of what led to me being so involved in true crime and wanting to know more. I read crime library pretty much nonstop because I wanted to be as knowledgeable on crimes as possible thinking like what reasonable person thinks like, God, I hope I meet somebody who likes true crime like I do so I can talk to them about this case. And I want to be extra prepared. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking when I was like 15 or 16. So I'm very strange. I don't know if anybody else was like that, but that's kind of what it's where it started for me. Um, so yeah, those kinds of cases, like those just really like psychologically deep ones, the same thing with like Marcus Wesson, we're going to cover him, um, in the future too, but another really kind of just messed up situation where there was a lot of like cult, you know, aspects to it obviously child sex abuse, which seems to be rampant in cults. So I really want to understand that too. Like, do people start these cults with the idea that they're going to have access to children or is it just like, Hey, this is a good perk after they start. I don't know. (laughs) It's all things. I definitely want to learn more about now tomorrow. I am stepping out of the true crime shoes that I normally wear. And at five 30 Eastern, I'm going to be hosting a room covering the Britney versus Spears documentary that was just released today on Netflix. Hold, I need a drink. Who doesn't need a drink these days after that? Um, I'm going to be joined by Sarah Hunt, who is married to one of the coolest dudes in podcasting from small town, small time murder, no small town murder. My God. Um, so she's going to join me to talk about Britney Spears tomorrow too, because despite it being an entertainment quote unquote entertainment case, this is also um, a crime against Britney. If we want to think about the conservatorship abuse that's been going on, the um, potential violations to her, I would say her human rights and her privacy. If what the documentary says is true, Britney has not come out yet to say anything. The Hulu documentary that was released by the New York Times of framing Britney Spears and the most recent one that was released this week, she disputes and says that it was not um, not very truthful or factual. So we'll see if she comes out and says anything about those cases or about the new documentary. Um, But yeah, if you guys are interested in that, just make sure you press on my profile picture. You can also... Um, go up to the top and it'll say like follow or be notified and you'll be notified basically every time I go live. So we could talk about that. Um, nobody wants to get up here and talk about a case. Are you kidding me? You're here on Tuesdays for true crime content. You guys literally you could talk about any case. It's totally fine. Even the, I mean, even the Gabby Petito case, which how insane is it that dog, the bounty hunter, has now entered the chat to help find Brian Landry or whatever his last, I don't know. His name's look like, his name looks like it says laundry. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I did not expect that. But Doug also, I used to watch him a ton when he was on Annie and stuff like that. RIP Beth. But um, Doug also found somebody a long time ago. He ended up being in a Mexican jail. God, who was it? It was the Revlon air, right? Or the Max Factor air. It was, I forgot that guy's name. But he basically was chasing him too, I think. Um, and he found him in Mexico. And I think it's illegal to like bounty hunt in Mexico. So he also got detained with that guy. But he ended up finding him. 
So I do think that people, I think, I don't know. I still don't know. I, I, I think he's too much of a narcissist to complete suicide. Um, that's typically what I see like with abusers and stuff. I just covered this recent case um, called deadly, deadly jealousy, where it talks about, you know, intermittent partner violence, et cetera. And a lot of the times, you know, like the abusers aren't going to take their own lives or anything like that. You know, the whole point is like, I need to get this person that I'm obsessed with off the planet so that nobody can have them. And I can, you know, feel fine that I finally had complete control. I don't know. So oftentimes they don't opt themselves. There are times when they do, because, you know, they do those acts and then either are remorseful or just like, yep, I made my choice and then that's it. And they already had this planned, I guess. I don't know. I don't really understand the mindset of a person who does that either. Um, But yeah, so I do think that the recent revelations that just came out were the Landry's, I don't know how to say this last name. So I'm just going to say Brian's parents. Okay. So Brian's parents allegedly or supposedly based off of dog's latest press conference was that he, uh, the parents had gone to this campground for like two or three days. And they said that three people went in, which would be the mom, dad, and the son. And then only two people came out. Now they, the lawyer that Brian's family has, um, retained is a weirdo. (laughs) Like I'm reading the text messages he's sending and he's contradicting himself all over the place. So at first it's like, yeah, he stayed home the entire time, but then they decided to take him camping and, you know, spend some quality time together. It's like, who does that? Who's like, Hmm, I know I just killed my girlfriend, but I really have this itch for camping and adventure. Mom and dad, let's go. Even if they didn't know, which I roll, please. Even if they didn't know that he murdered Gabby, then why would you be like, you probably, yeah, let's take you camping with all of the scrutiny on you. What in your mind would make you think that it is okay to do that? It's so weird. Like I'm alive. There you go. Is that the new thing to say, Madeline? I've only seen that on TikTok because of the filters for content. Like they don't want you to say things like that or on YouTube, but I do think he needs to, I think he needs to for sure turn himself in and be again, he's a narcissist. So will he, it's everybody's problem. Gabby probably is the one who made him do it or she got out of control and he had no choice but to react and blah, blah, blah. Like I'm already, thinking of the excuses he's going to make if he indeed does um, turn himself in or is caught. My hope is that he is still alive and can face justice um, for the murder of Gabby. And once the autopsy and results come out um, in regards to a cause of death, hopefully we'll have an understanding of what happened and it'll likely dismantle whatever defense he thinks he's going to be able to put on for himself. I don't think it's going to be, um, one that will do him any favors for sure. And his parents, if they do have, okay. So I don't know how they would charge him with complicity or anything like that um, or obstruction because going to a campsite isn't, while it's a weird thing to do in the middle of an investigation, it's not an illegal thing to do. 
unless they went to the campsite. And again, this would have to be something that they were able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, unless they went to the campsite with the intention that they were going to help him evade arrest and escape. So I don't know what happened. And yeah, I didn't know, Stephanie, too. Thank you for bringing that up. I didn't know in this story, this whole timeline of events, that she actually lived with them in the house. Like, that makes it even worse to me. I agree. That makes it even worse to me that they're so cold as individuals that they would be like, "Mm, yeah, we care more about it. I don't know. So maybe, again, not offering any excuses, just trying to conjecture and understand kind of like maybe what's going on or why they are reacting the way they are reacting to the situation is that maybe they fought a lot in the house. And as a person who's had an individual live with me who had a volatile relationship, it's really annoying to live in that environment and be like, Oh my God, you guys are fighting again. Wow. A surprise, but B like get like break up with each other and move on. So I can get being, frustrated and tired, and maybe even relieved that she's no longer in the house. But that would also mean that they had zero clue that there was any type of domestic violence going on, which people know they can hide it pretty well, but I don't know how you hide it under the same roof like that. Um, They would also have to not have any idea that there was suspicion that Brian was responsible for disappearance all of which i think we now know is not true is that they did know um it it just it doesn't make any sense doesn't add up to me so we'll see what happens i'm hoping that he's caught fairly soon and that gabby can get some justice and that we can get some answers as to what happened and hopefully and maybe there's some other information out there that hasn't yet been discovered clues that haven't yet been found um but yeah i mean It seems, especially after looking at the body camera, there could have been some intervention. But again, this speaks to the ability of law enforcement to address and be prepared for domestic violence issues and intimate partner violence issues, which they are not equipped to handle. Um, Different story for another day. So after me, starting right now, probably is True Crime Rewind. I think they're going to be talking about the Chris Watts case, another case that is incredibly infuriating. So please go and join them for that. I'll be meeting you in there. And thank you guys again for joining me for True Crime Convos. Make sure you tell your friends, and I will see you next week. Thanks, guys. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.